Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth. Let's pick up where we left off with the book of 1 Samuel. We've made it to chapter 27. If you want to read along with me, let's begin. Verse 1. And David said in his heart, now I shall someday, let's see, let's see if we can read this again. And David said in his heart, someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. So to go back over why I had to go back and read it. If you, this is just in case it's your first time reading with me. Um, what Jesus tells us as Christians is, and I'll paraphrase this and I'll point it out to you, that there's energy in our words. There's power in the things we say, the things we actually vocalize and speak. Um, it seems the world, the universe, however you want to think of it, creation has a way of hearing us and manifesting what it is we say, whether it is something we um, inadvertently say or something we purposely say. It say, and Jesus tells us this in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, 37. For by your words shall be justified. My word shall be condemned. That My understanding of that is exactly what I just told you. So if you consider that and read what it is David said, or what's being said, the quote of David here in verse 1, then imagine what that'll call up for yourself in saying that, that someday you will perish for sure. And I know that's the common belief, that that's the way of the world. But as Christians, all we have to go by is the what Jesus says, the red letters of the Bible, and they're only a tithe in only a tenth of the entire book of the Bible. Because uh, remember, it's one book, to, but it consists of 60 plus books compiled into one book. The same way you could um, compile a, a course offerings at a college into one book. Um, they're not all um, focusing on one subject. It's many different courses collected together into one book. Similarly, that's what the Bible is, many different um, books collected together in one. So even if something's in the Bible, I'd recommend caution in reading it out loud. You could read it, obviously. Just vocalizing it and saying it out loud, I think, carries a different energy with it. Just my understanding, just my belief. Believe what you want, read what you want, say what you want. But just so you understand why I read the first part of verse 1 the way I did. Now, to what's in verse 1, what David is saying is that he doesn't believe it's over between Saul David is the same David and Goliath David. Saul is the king at the time, the first king of the Jewish people of the Israelites. Um, once they're there in the promised land, as it's called, uh, he's hunting David down, trying to kill him. David doesn't believe that the truce that they just reached in the previous chapter is lasting. He's seen it. He's seen Saul turn on him again and again and again, trying to kill him. So he doesn't believe it's over. And he believes the best thing for him to do is to flee to some foreigners, the Philistines, for his own life. Verse 2, Then David arose and went over to, with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David has gone on to another area where the Philistines, people who lived there in that area, uh, before the Israelites came and colonized it, um, the Philistines also lived there. Sometimes they're at war with them, um, sometimes they're at peace with them. David is um, uh, able to go back and forth between the Israelites and the Philistines um, and operate with both of them. Um, 
it, and be accepted by both of them. But Saul is hunting him, like I said. And, but he's got 600 people, 600 men who have allied themselves with him as he's on the run, basically. Um, so now he's gone to the Philistines seeking refuge with them, asylum, as it were. Verse 3, so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man and his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. So there goes that Bible-thumping theory that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. You see, David has at least two wives, and he had a previous one to this. Also, Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, who was taken from him and given to someone else, which also lets you know that patriarchy is real, especially in the Bible. Though Bible-thumpers will claim it's not, it truly is. Well, how else could you give someone as property, give someone because she's a woman, a female, to someone else unless it was patriarchy treating her that way so again believe what you want but it is right there in black and white um and one other thing he has just two wives his son solomon according to the bible had hundreds of wives and side pieces and concubines um so um that whole idea of marriage uh, and it being one man and one woman is nothing more than uh religion and religion is a worthless thing in so many ways, and it's not the same thing as Christianity. Just so you keep that in your mind, and just in case it's your first time reading with me. I've said it almost a thousand times, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, so now, and we've gotten the names now, I've reminded that David has two wives. One is a widow of uh, one of his previous enemies, and another one is another woman he's taken as his wife also. Verse 4, and it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So now the message uh, have, has gotten back to Saul, the king, that David has left the area and gone to the Philistine territory. And that must have satisfied Saul enough to not chase him anymore. Because remember, part of the reason that Saul seems to be chasing him is that he had the prophecy from Samuel that a replacement has been chosen by the Lord. And Lord, again, is translated from Jehovah at the time of the prophecy. Um and that that's who's already chosen to replace Saul. So since he got that prophecy, Saul is again and again sought to kill David. Um, but now it seems he's done hunting him since he's heard he's not in the territory anymore. Verse five, then David said to Akish, if I've now found favor, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. But why should your servant dwell in a royal city with you? So uh, David's acting very humble there, probably for his own good. Uh, and just like Jesus tells us to take the humble path, and I'm paraphrasing that, but that's what Christian teachings are, not the uh, American way of being prideful, but instead actual Christian teachings are to be humble, take the hum uh, be, have, a, have humility in yourself, not pride. But again, that's the Bible thumping way where you thump the Bible and ignore what's actually in it. Um, that seems to be the American way. Um, but David is telling the people of the land, the king of the area, um, if, he's, um, hasn't, if he's found favor in his eyes, meaning if he's been pleasing to the king, pleasing to the government, then give him an allotment in the land where he can go and live. And the humble part is, for why should he, a foreigner, be dwelling in the same place as royalty, the king? Verse 6, so David, so Akish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day.
So that's where you know it's the narrator um, adding their two cents. Again, probably the scribes at some later time adding their um, opinion, their view of things into the narrative because the phrase to this day is there, lets you know this is written at some at some later point. It's not contemporaneous being written like you would in a diary as the events happen to you. Instead, it's someone who's looked back on the events and summing them up for um, the purpose of it being um, scribed, written, and uh, documented to be looked at later, or even having been looked at later. Otherwise, that phrase wouldn't be there. But also, it's saying um, that Ziklag has um, uh, belonged to the kings of Judah. Judah hasn't officially separated from the other tribes yet um, in the narrative. That doesn't happen until Solomon's death, after David's son Solomon becomes king, lives and dies. Then there's a division between the tribes of Israel. Then Judah is separated from the other tribes. So you can know for sure that this is retrospectively written by probably, again, probably the scribes. But whoever did it is letting us know that um, Ziklag and uh, the kings of Judah, that be David's descendants, um, were still in charge of that land um, to the time that this was written, to the time that 1 Samuel was written. Verse 7, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. So um, again, it's just letting us know how long David spent away from the Israelite territory and in the Philistine area. Verse 8, and David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So it's laying out the different territories of the, the different people who were among the Israelites and Philistines at the time. And um, those are the people who would, David would go and raid, and that would basically be swooped down on them and attack them and plunder them, basically. And it's saying that was happening as far as the land of Egypt. So again, taking us into Africa so that you can wipe the whitewashing away where people will make you are like to believe that everyone in the Bible, the patriarchs and the people are all snowy white, blonde and blue. And these aren't statements, again, against white people. We're all mixed. With, there's no one of any one pure race, if you want to think of race that way, uh, in the world. And in fact, we all descend from people who originated in Africa. Everyone alive descends from those people. So we're all mixed. There's no way around that, no matter what supremacy may teach you or you may want to believe. And as always, believe what you want. But the truth is naked and the facts are what they are. And you don't have to take my word for it. Again, do a DNA mapping test to yourself and see for yourself. You're not as pure as you may want to believe you are. Whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're brown, whether you're yellow, whatever, we're all mixed. And we're all one. We're all one family. And though you wouldn't be able to tell it, I guess you could tell it by all the enmity in the world, how we people seem to hate each other, just like a family does. At least in my own family, it seems that way. So anyway, David has done, that's what he's doing. He's raiding the areas um, and probably to avoid um, stirring up the Philistines against him since he's gone to them for asylum. 
the same way people go to America, the southern border for asylum. You notice there's problems there for asylum seekers, but not on the northern border. That goes again back to that whole idea of racial supremacy. Because if you're really concerned about security of the border, one, then why isn't there why isn't there that same attitude from people coming from other countries? The previous president made it clear people from Nordic countries are very much welcome. They'll roll out the red carpet to them. Probably probably because they have a more pleasing complexion to the people in power here. That's the most tactful way I can think of saying it. And uh, two, you know that it's um, nothing but nonsense because the same people who cheer on the previous president seem to, and they'll say there's a crisis at the border. Well, the previous president said he was going to build a wall and then Mexico would pay for it. So if he's so successful and powerful, where's the wall? Why didn't Mexico pay for it? And how is there still a crisis there? It's it's just such nonsense and it's just such theater and it's actually just such wickedness based on racism. But that's a whole other topic. Just back to where we are now with David fleeing to foreigners um, for help and asylum while he also attacks other foreigners. Um, for what reason? I guess maybe we'll see. Verse 9. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Akish. So um, he seems to be doing it because that's what he does, um, attack people and take their stuff. Um, is it out of need? and Is it out of necessity? It doesn't seem like it. He's gotten refuge and asylum with Akish, who's given him a whole area of his own to go live in. So maybe it's out of sport. Um, maybe it's out of covetousness, maybe it's out of greed, not real sure, but he's attacking those people, other people, and taking their stuff for his own. Verse 10, then Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeramalites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. So, um, he's lying first, uh, David, so... We see he's not above stealing, uh, above murdering, killing, because that's what they're doing when they raid those towns and take their stuff. But now he's also a liar because he's returned to the people who've given him asylum and returned to them with lying. So if anything, that's repaying evil for good. They've done him good, giving him a land to dwell in, giving him asylum from the people, his own people who are hunting him, Saul and, and his army that are hunting him or were hunting him. And he's repaying them with lies um, with what he's actually doing. That doesn't sound like a very honorable character to me. And even if it is, even if you do think of it as honorable, it's certainly not righteous by the Old Testament standards of thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. Yet, you see, he's doing all those things and returning evil to Akish, who's given him good. And then one other thing about that verse to point out who the people are. Um... The last ones that are mentioned there are the Kenites. That is the descendants of Cain. And although modern day religious leaders will try and make a big deal about the Kenites, them being so wicked, them being so evil and all of that, because they are descendants of Cain, the same Cain and Abel Cain. Well, obviously that's not the case by what we've read again and again in the Bible about them. The Kenites were guaranteed a place before the Lord. However you want to think of it as the Lord being, whether it be Jehovah or God Almighty, or, 
I'm just reading it as the Lord because that's how I read. They were guaranteed a place in the Lord's presence always because they were considered faithful. You've read with me before. You already know that. Um, but that counters what modern day Bible thumpers will say. Um, and it and you see here, they've been attacked now by David and his army and raided also, just like the other people were, even though they have been faithful in the past uh, narratives that we've read to this point. Verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So the whole time he dwelt in, had asylum with the Philistines, he continued as a liar and a killer and a thief, because that's what it's called when you take a, a, a take what's not yours, kill for it, and then turn return to the people who are giving you help and asylum and lie to them. That's the pattern it says, uh, it's how it reads, that David has done since he sought asylum from Achish, the foreigners who've decided to help him out, the Philistines, who are considered the enemies of the Israelite people. That's how he's repaid them for their help. Verse 12, so Achish believed David, saying, he's made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So Akish has his own designs on why he's helping David out. Um, maybe not so much why he's helping him out, but what the result will be of him helping him out. He feels that since David has attacked some of his own allies, since again, the Kenites were allied with the Israelites previously. So I'm guessing the Jeremalites um, and the others who he attacked were also considered allies since he's saying it was the southern area of Judah. Um, most likely they also were allied with the Israelites at this time in the story. So uh, Akish, the king of the Philistines, believes that um, since he's doing that, attacking his own uh, people's allies um, and so forth, massacring them, raiding their land and taking their stuff, his own people won't welcome him back ever again. So in that sense, he feels he'll always be uh, allied to Akish. He feels that in David doing those things to his own people, which he actually isn't, um, but that's the lie he's been told. He feels like, well, with him doing those things to his own people, he's doing nothing but solidifying the alliance that he has with him um, because his own people won't ever welcome him back. But again, that's just the lie David was telling him the whole time he was dwelling with him for asylum. That, though, is the last verse in this chapter. It was a short one. So that's where we're going to end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Kid. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.